And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Tuesday morning. The second round of the playoffs is underway. All the game ones are done. The game twos begin tonight. And we're going to be talking Sixers, Heat, and Mavs, Suns, because we have a little bit of breathing space for those. And to start with, in the East, in Miami, on location, eating churros, getting a tan, dodging sharks, clubbing late into the night with Levitard. Nick Friedel, how you doing? Oh, buddy. It's good to be back with you always. And I can't tell you how refreshing it is to just cover a basketball game. <laughs> After these last few months around the Nets, my brain is just completely fried. You would go in and you would think, ah, I'm just going to watch, you know, the, the, the Nets and the, the, the magic tonight. And then something crazy would always happen. Much of it having nothing to do about the game itself. So to just be around a team that plays basketball well and has uh, an intensity around it about just winning the game, that is a nice change of pace. So I just want to remind people for a second. First of all, you are technically our Heat beat reporter right now, correct? That is right. So I just want to remind the residents of Miami and the surrounding area of some things about Nick. Nick was on our Bulls beat. The Bulls fell apart amid infighting, injuries, dysfunction, all that. Then he moved to what I lovingly termed the Bulls suck beat, traveling around to more interesting Midwest teams because the Bulls were so boring that we didn't want to cover them anymore. Uh, The highlight of those was possibly the Minnesota Timberwolves with Tom Thibodeau, his old friend. That team fell apart amid trade demands, infighting, all sorts of stuff. Then uh, Nick moves to the Warriors and presides over the only fallow period of the last 10 years for the Golden State Warriors. He leaves the Warriors beat just as the Warriors ascend back into the title chase, arguably the favorites right now. I just had someone, by the way, I was texting with someone loosely connected to this Heat Sixers um, series saying, the East Finals will be the, the NBA Finals. I was like, whoa, dude, no. Warriors, Suns, like all these teams in the West are, are low. You're wrong. Anyway, so you leave the Warriors, they ascend. You come to the Nets, preseason oh. championship favorites, loaded with a big three that couldn't be stopped. Vegas still has the – they might still be the Vegas favorites right now for how all no I doubt. know how Vegas behaved this season. They might still – they and the Lakers, could can they still make a run? <laughs> I, I don't know. And then the Nets collapse and get swept in the first round. So, look, Kyle Lowry didn't play last night. Jimmy Butler looked pretty bad. Um, five of 16, couldn't make a shot, didn't really impact the game. Maybe as a distributor, we'll talk about that, although he only had three assists. Uh, the Heat – 9 of 36 from 3, I'm worried for the Heat. I mean, they have all the advantages in this series. Joel Embiid's out at least the next game, and we'll see when he can come back. They blew the crap out of the just just not – it just was – it was a sad game all around. But I'm I'm worried. I'm worried about the Heat, and I think the Heat should be worried. And if you show up to game two, and you – I know that little security booth you got to go in in Miami. If if your press pass isn't there – and, you're, and there's a photo of you. It's like, do not let this person in. I will understand why. <laughs> well, first off, let me make it very clear. I'm not worried about the Heat. I watched that game and I went, man, they're just better than the Sixers. At least right now, without Embiid, and we're not sure exactly when he may return. 
in this series. But I, I'll take the opposite part about how it all looked last night because Zach, the Heat couldn't make a three. I know the Sixers couldn't either. But Jimmy really didn't play that well. They didn't have Lowry. And Bam was the guy they were leaning on. And, and Hero made some shots. They can play so much better than they showed in game one. And their defense, which we will get into, was just really, really solid. And what they did on James Harden was have P.J. Tucker run him up and down the whole way of the floor. And Bam admitted after the game, their game plan is very similar with Harden to what we saw in that Atlanta series with Trey Young. They're just not going to let Harden beat them. It's going to have to be somebody else. Tobias Harris wants to go out and score 27 points every night. More power to him. And Maxie didn't shoot well. But you're watching the Sixers, and they just don't have anywhere else to turn. I don't know where else they go offensively with no Embiid. And, and my thought sitting in there last night was, man, the Sixers had every chance to get this game. It was sitting right there. But this ties into my Brooklyn roots of a few months ago. James Harden just is not the same James Harden that we've seen for so many years in his career. He can't take over the games anymore, especially with, with consistency. He may, may still drop 30 or 35, and you may go, oh, okay, I saw some of the past. It's not there, though, night to night. And when you have somebody like P.J. Tucker all over him, and you can switch Jimmy Butler on him in spurts, I'm not sure where else the Sixers can go unless Embiid comes back and plays at the exact same high level that he was all year long. I've said this before. I, I imagine playing like Supermarket Sweep. Oh, David Ruprecht. I love that show. I remember playing. I imagine like playing that against PJ Tucker and just like everywhere I go, I'm getting shoulder checked out of the way. Like I can't get the hams. Can't get the I hams. can't get the I can't get the hoses. I'm trying to go get the gourmet vegetables. PJ Tucker's hitting me. I'm like I can't. I can't. If I were competing for the last onion at the grocery store with PJ Tucker, I'd end up on the floor with like bananas or so. I don't know. Anyway, so look, I ended up picking. So if you look back and listen to my podcast with Van Gundy last week, previewing this series, it's like a time capsule to another planet. Because I was so excited about this series. We didn't know about Embiid's injury yet. We knew that Lowry and Butler had missed the end of the Hawks series. But we didn't know that Lowry was going to miss the beginning of this series. And I actually was probably going to pick Philly in six if everybody were healthy. I actually I, I kind of liked the Heat matchup for them. Not in terms of talent more than the Toronto matchup. But in terms of comfort level, I thought, look, Embiid's Embiid. He's arguably the MVP is going to do what he does. Harden is going to have a weak defender to pick at almost all the time. Maybe not in the starting lineup. I think Max Struess has graduated out of weak link territory at this point, but Harden has a chance to get a little more comfortable in this series than he was against Toronto. And I just, I, I, the, the heat foul a lot. Philly gets to the line all the time. You know, they had some sort of baked in advantages like that. And then the news, you know, breaks and the whole series changes. I ended up picking Heat in seven, which is my way of saying, well, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. I don't know when Embiid's coming back. I don't know when Lowry's coming back. But I, I, I thought about sticking with the Sixers anyway. And then I, and then a couple of things dissuaded me. Number one, I, I didn't think the Sixers had any good answer for Jimmy Butler. 
and Tobias Harris was going to be the answer. He actually did okay last night. Like, I think Jimmy Butler will have better games. I don't like that matchup really for Philly as much as Tobias Harris has improved. And I just didn't trust Harden on an every other day schedule to show up and be the scorer they were going to need him to be without Embiid, even if it was only for two games or three games. If you're down 2-0 or 3-0, it's over, obviously. I mean, unless, you know, something crazy happens. And I thought if we were going to see the James Harden who looked pretty good in game six in Toronto, looked Harden-esque, had a little bit of a burst, dunked. It might be game one with a little bit of extra rest. And we did not see that James Harden minus, you know, one blow by of Gabe Vincent that led to a DJ lob dunk, a step back three over hero that went in in the first quarter. He got fouled by Bam on another step back three on a switch. And we could talk about how the Heat loaded to him and, forced him to pass, and the Sixers missed a whole crap ton of open threes. Six of 34 on three, a lot of good looks. Like, he, he played a little better than his stats. But look, 13 shots, third most shot attempts in the starting lineup for Philly. Four free throws. Philly was only plus two in free throw attempts in this game. That's not going to cut it for them in this series based on how they expected to win. Five assists, five turnovers, minimal burst, lots of flailing around and just sort of barfing up shots that don't have much chance going in from floater range. And if this is all James Harden's got, and I know the Heat are a great defensive team, but even against switches, he wasn't great. If this is all he's got and Embiid misses three games, I I just, I, I can't, I don't see a great path to anything for the Sixers. And the conversation will turn really fast to, um, the Sixers, Traded a whole lot of stuff for James Harden, knowing how he had looked late in his Brooklyn tenure, kind of assuming slash hoping it was a matter of disinterest on Harden's part. And he didn't opt into his contract. He can still opt into a $46 million contract for one more year in the offseason. Probably would prefer just, hey, can you sign me to the five-year max? Like, that's, that's kind of what the idea was. If this is all he's got... And they go out this way against the Heat. I think we could be in there. There's a there's a chance. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not connected to Harden's inner circle or anything like that. There's a chance this could get a little bit ugly in the offseason because I don't think the Philadelphia Sixers can pay or will pay the full boat. Or maybe I, I mean I don't even know how close they would get if if James Harden's going out like this. I mean this was just. A dep- it's a depressing game all around, given what this series looked like it could be. But the Harden stuff is just—it it, just—it's every fourth playoff game. He looks like James Harden. That's just—you can't pay that guy five years, fifty million a pop. This is exactly the Harden we saw throughout the last year, though, Zach. And you and I have talked about it a couple months ago after that Net Sixers game. Harden just can't play at the same high level that we've seen for so so long and it's so obvious that the Sixers thought that they were going to get this renewed re-energized guy after he just quit on KD and Kyrie and that's not there anymore (laughs) I mean to watch Harden to see him just try to get to the basket, and then throw his arms up. It reminded me of watching Chris Paul at the end of his time in Houston just kind of flop all over the floor. 
you were kind of like, ah, he's he's done. But you know, then the same Chris Paul that James Harden ran out exactly. of Houston so that the Rockets could trade their whole franchise for Russell Westbrook. Exactly. That one exactly. There there are some parallels here. But then you know, Chris Paul became a vegan and he changed his diet. That changed everything. <laughs> That's also another hilarious storyline that uh, I don't think we have enough time to get into today. But as far as Harden goes, when you've got a defensive team like Miami that sticks to its principles, that knows they're not going to let that one guy get them. And when you have Harden, who at times just looks kind of checked out because he knows that he doesn't have it the same way anymore, that's why I I don't buy, once Miami wins this game on Wednesday in game two, I don't buy that Philadelphia can win four or five, even with Embiid. Well, and Embiid Embiid comes back, and he's going to probably have to wear the Phantom of the Opera mask, Mm -hmm. and he's got an orbital bone fracture, which sounds terrible. I mean, I don't want anything to happen to my orbital bones. It sounds awful. He's got a thumb injury. It's like the poor guy, you wouldn't blame him for, and I thought this was the case in Game 5 against Toronto, playing a little bit trepidatiously. Like, I would prefer... That I, I'm counting. I'm starting to get like to a, a a larger number of body parts than I would like. That I'm kind of afraid to be hit hit on by accident. Like I I, do, I can't imagine it's it's comfortable to play at full throttle the way that Embiid is at full throttle, where he's falling over and chase down blocks and all this with a thumb injury and an orbital bone injury and a mask that might not be comfortable. Like I don't I don't I don't. I mean, he'll be good no matter what because he's Joel Embiid. But is he going to be? Peak Joel Embiid? I don't know. Zach, this is what this series will remind everybody, though, that hasn't been watching the Heat throughout the season. Bam Adebayo is that good. He is awesome. And if we all agree that Embiid is the best big man or or the second best big man behind Jokic, Bam is right behind in that conversation. And he feasted on... DeAndre Jordan, who is, we're talking about people who are done. I mean, Harden can still play at a, a high level. DeAndre Jordan, that, that's it. When, when you watch him on the floor, it was like, all right, oh, uh, that's, that's about enough here. And Paul Reed had a couple nice minutes, but you're not winning a playoff series if you're relying on Paul Reed uh, to, to stand tall against the Heat night after night. Bam gets forgotten about frankly, at least in my eyes, because the Heat don't have, aside from the blow up on the bench, all that much drama that a national audience seems to care about. But he just goes out and he defends extremely well and he can put up big numbers when he needs to. And to think that Embiid is going to get dropped back into this series if he does come back and he's feeling all right and he's just going to completely dominate Bam out of bio. That's not right either. That's another reason why I, I'm not buying the worry for the Heat right now because Jimmy didn't play well. They don't have Lowry. And Bam, in a lot of ways, I think will at least slow down Embiid, who, as you noted, is going to be, you would think, a little more cautious with a, a, a facial fracture and coming off. He's becoming the, the Monty Python night where they keep chopping off limbs and the night keeps like fighting. I don't remember the exact joke because it's been a long time since I saw a Monty Python movie. It's like, how many more injuries is this guy going to play through? Um, 
Yeah, so you mentioned Bam, 24 points on 8 of 10 shooting, 8 of 8 from the line. I didn't know I didn't know you were going to come on and rev up the Bam wagon. I'm always excited oh, yeah. to hop, to, to turn the keys in the ignition of the Bam wagon. Although no one uses keys anymore. I'm the only person I know my car still has keys. Everyone's got the fancy little push button thing now. Anyway, Bam, it was Bam's, I was looking at the numbers this morning, the Heat scored... Like 1.4 points per possession anytime Bam set a ball screen and 1.2 when either he shot out of it or the ball handler shot out of it, which are just like monster numbers. And you could see why, because Jordan can't do anything about it. Paul Reed can't do anything about it. Paul Millsap, I mean, he's like the tin man. He's so stiff out there when they try to use him as backup five. And anytime those centers are in the game, it's going to be Jimmy Bam pick and roll or who's Maxi guard put put Maxi and and their center into a pick and roll and it's lob dunk pocket pass whatever it is to the point that a the Sixers go zone as a, almost as a vote of no confidence in their man to man defense like just we don't we just have to junk up the game they end up giving up 15 offensive rebounds a 40% offensive rebounding rate that's a disaster okay let's try Niang at center that ends up being their only good lineup they were plus i think plus 8 with Niang at center, and just I guess we're just they're just gonna have to go down shooting with Harden and four shooters around him. And Harden was passing, making appropriate passes and all that. They just missed a bunch of shots because if they can't defend anyway, and the Heat's half court offense is not exactly the most well oiled machine. Without Lowry, they don't have the transition attack that they have when he's just heaving the hit ahead passes. Maybe you just say let's go down shooting. The problem is they just don't have a lot of options for that. Without Embiid, like, Shake Milton's been a disaster. Thibault's been a disaster offensively. The two of them are, like, a double disaster offensively. Korkmaz, I mean, Doc Rivers, I, I don't know if Doc Rivers would trust Furkan Korkmaz to, like, mow his lawn or something. Like, for, to, like the guy gets off the bench for two possessions and he's gone. He can really shoot. Not this year, but he can really shoot. They just don't have – they have one lineup, basically. They have the starters with Niang at center – and that lineup was very good, and and I, I would guess we're going to see more of it. But Doc clearly isn't comfortable playing. He didn't play it in the second half until the game got out of hand. And Zach Niang was 0 for 7. And in the second half, I was watching it unfold. He said something that really pissed off Tyler Hero. And if you go back and watch, I believe it was like right towards the end of the third quarter, maybe early fourth. And Hero gets really pissed and then knocks down like three shots and keeps staring at Niang going up and down the floor. So whatever the numbers look like, uh, there was some some back and forth that that really got him rolling late in that game. And, and that was the final straw for Philly. They just couldn't handle it. But if again, it all goes back to James Harden. If you're relying on James Harden to be the leader of the team that's going to outshoot Miami, Good luck to you. It's just not going to happen. Anybody who watched those Nets games throughout the season can tell you that while Harden can still put together a really good game at times, he's just not that guy. And I'd be remiss in the context of the Harden conversation not to bring up P.J. Tucker again because Eric Spolstra and those players last night were singing P.J. Tucker's praises to the highest power. And Spolster said he's the most communicative player that we have. His plays, while they don't always show up in a box score, change the momentum of our team. Everybody rallies around what P.J. Tucker does, and he makes winning plays time and time again. He just knows how, how to be that kind of defensive force 
throughout a game. And he said this is the first time since the East semis last year when he was a member of the Bucks playing against the Nets and Kevin Durant that he has guarded somebody up and down the floor the way he guarded Harden. And those guys, the Heat guys, they just trust P.J. Tucker to make it all happen. And there was that possession in the second half where they had like four different swings at the rim and the crowd went nuts. And when you have that type of hustle going on in a playoff game, you can break another team's spirit. And they did against Philly. And Philly, again, if you don't plug and be back in, there, there isn't another answer. You can't look at that roster and go, ah, well, I see it coming in game two. Zach, yeah, they were 6-34 of 34 from three. The Heat were 9 of 36. No, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the you know, make some shots too. The, the Wizards at second spectrum track expected field goal percentage based on the location of each shot, how open it is, who's shooting it, who the defender that's closest by is. They underperformed Philly and Miami, their expected field goal percentage by almost exactly the same yeah. margin. So the, the Sixers just can't say, well, shooting luck, shooting luck, shooting luck. They had bad shooting luck. So did the Heat. Max Struess was one of seven. I thought most of his looks were quite good. And again, with the Sixers are in man defense, they can run Struess off of Bam. Those centers aren't coming out like the, the way they used to do with Duncan Robinson, who suddenly can't get off the bench. I'm a little surprised. I, I understand why they're they're prioritizing defense and Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent and Oladipo have been solid for them. I do wonder if they could sneak Robinson in when Harden is off the floor so he's not a target for Harden. Uh, he'd be a target for Maxi in those minutes, but I, I wonder if you can live with that. But anyway, they can get those open threes whenever they want. And P.J. Tucker... When the Sixers are in man, Harden's guarding him, and P.J. Tucker loves when you hide a bad defender on him, a disinterested defender. And one of the things he loves to do is when that guy's not looking and a shot goes up, crash in so hard from the corner that he is going to knock your ass to the ground and get an offensive rebound. He did it once or twice in game one. He did it to Trey Young a lot uh, in in previous matchups. He's going to do it to Harden. All the time, and and yeah, you know, you know, I mean, we can talk about the zone and the zone offense. Miami will, be, I think, more prepared for Philly's zone, have more counters to it. They started figuring some stuff out to do with it, but it's just, it's just so, it's just you hate to see a playoff series of this potential magnitude without a player of Embiid's stature, without without a player of of Lowry's stature. But obviously, with Joel Embiid, this is one series, and without him, it's another. And frankly, it was not all that interesting in game one. It was a bad game. <laughs> there were a lot of bricks being tossed up all over the place. But this is really apparent when you watch the Heat, Zach, and you listen to what they've been saying the last few days. If you were to trust one team to rise to the occasion and to not allow, ah, well, Embiid's out for and undetermined amount of time we're just gonna let our guard down a little bit and and we're gonna allow philly uh, to climb back in and steal one of these games miami is that team that you would say ah no it's not gonna happen with this group and having watched the nets so often just kind of haphazardly go through their defensive sets and just run up and down the floor and a lot of iso for for kevin and kyrie offensively What you're reminded when you watch the Heat night after night and you listen to what they're saying after these practices, they are so well coached. They know exactly where to be. 
they trust one another out there on the floor. And that rhythm leads you to the type of performance we saw in the second half. And I just, I, I don't buy that, that Miami is just kind of going to go, ah, well, Embiid's not out there. We can just kind of go through the motions. This is not oh, a, no, 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 a no, no. go through the motions type team. This is a team that, that knows it has an advantage, but it's going to play at the same level they've been playing at throughout the season. So I, I am not worried. And maybe it's just because that second half was such a blowout. But if you're a Heat fan, you've got to believe they're going to play a lot better in game two. You've got to believe that they're going to go to Philly up 2-0. And then you're relying on that defense to carry you through two more games, even if Embiid reappears. So uh, I think that the Heat are in a really good position and should feel comfortable that Jimmy Butler is not going to shoot it the way he did in game one and is going to come hell-bent to show everybody, hey, I'm still here, and at some point they're going to drop Kyle Lowry back in, and he's going to give him an emotional lift as well. Yeah, I mean, you got to assume that Philly will try to clean up the glass a little bit. Maybe Harden gets five more free throws. I mean, he def- there were some missed calls against him in game one. Maybe he finagles 10 free throws instead of five, and you start, you start you know, closing the gap that way. But, you know, like you said, Miami's got some stuff that it can do as well. And you just don't – it's just, it's just a bummer. I am interested to see how, how much help – Miami sends at Harden when he gets Hero on a switch or Struess on a switch or Vincent on a switch. They seemed most uncomfortable with Hero for obvious reasons and threw a couple like straight up double teams at Harden. And that unlocked Maxi driving to the rim on mm-hmm. a, like a gap attack. Um, it'll give them open threes galore. They even kind of shaded off the corners a little bit near Harden. And he's so smart. There was one three, I think Danny Green got it from the right corner. He missed because all they did was miss. Where Harden got, I think, here on a one-on-one. And Caleb Martin scooted up off of Danny Green to like show Harden another body to Harden's right hand. And Harden dribbled, did his little, you know, dance, dance, revolution, dribble routine. And then went into his shot motion. And he went into his shot motion because he knew when I do that, Caleb Martin's going to come at me. Zip to Danny Green. Danny Green misses an open three. I almost wonder if Miami will look at the tape and say, maybe we got lucky and we should dial it back like 10% in terms of how much help we're sending, even Hero on Harden, until he proves he's going to consistently beat us up. Because I do think 6 of 34 from 3, and a lot of those looks were good. And I was surprised at at. Like the doubles, and I know you'd mix it up. You want to surprise them with a random double and all that. I, I, th- I just wonder if we're going to see a little, a little less help, or if they'll just say, you know, we don't really, we're not really worried about anyone else on the floor. We'll throw the the kitchen sink at them. That would, that's the only really interesting subplot to me, um, in game two. Uh, it, it, that and you know how much the Heat play PJ Tucker at center, which has been successful for them in the playoffs. They did it a lot, um, in game one because they just feel not threatened by. Philadelphia's big men and Philadelphia's playing small themselves. When you watch the way they're defending Harden too, Zach, again, I'm coming at this through the lens of having watched him in Brooklyn. I just feel like they're going to wear him out over the course of this series. Everywhere he goes, he is feeling a body. 
whether it's P.J. Tucker in the beginning or he's getting switched off, or as you mentioned, they're throwing the second guy at him sometimes, they are going to wear out Harden to a point where later in the series he's going to say, ah, I'm not even going to drive in there. I'm not even going to attempt to flail and flop around and, and ask for a whistle that's not coming. And that, when you watch Harden these last couple of years, that's the difference. The burst isn't there the same, but when he's going to the rim, so often he would go by, he would get down to the rim, and just by reputation alone, he's throwing the ball up and he's getting a whistle. And those whistles are not there to protect him anymore. And what happens is he gets frustrated, he sits on the floor for an extra couple beats, and the other team runs down and usually gets a, a, an easier bucket. So uh, when you watch the way that they were game planning for Harden in game one, it is very clear. Tobias Harris, you want to beat us? Go for it. Maxie. And by the way, shout out Tobias Harris. He's had an outstanding playoffs. I, I think I, I, I think some Grant Hill said last night on the broadcast that he was a little bit of a stopper in the Toronto series. I, I would I would hit the brakes on that a little bit. I thought Pascal Siakam looked pretty comfortable against Tobias Harris, but he's been playing really well, made a lot of tough shots last night to keep him in the game, managed better than I thought he would guarding Butler. We'll see what happens in game two. And but but on Harden, it's also very obvious the Heat have really drilled in the anti-Harden defense that you have to play. Like when Bam had him on the switch, you could see Bam pull his hands back, like uh, like to, uh, like showing showing the refs my hands are back here. And then of course he hit him on the elbow and didn't get called for the foul. And Struess on one of the step back threes did the thing where he jumped way dramatically to Harden's left side, almost jumping sideways to make sure he didn't run into his feet. So they're clearly they're clearly ready. Yeah, you know, and it's funny to flash back a whole three months ago, not even, when the Harden trade happened, Harden-Simmons trade. And the, one of the common takeaways was, you know, when we were doing winners and losers, the losers were supposedly like Milwaukee, Boston, and Miami because these two would-be Eastern Conference superpowers helped themselves. And I was sort of joking with Bobby Marks last week that maybe just everybody lost the James Harden trade. Like, humanity lost. You lost. I lost. My daughter lost. We all lost. Everybody lost. And someone, uh, an executive from an East team called me and was like, actually, you know who ended up winning? Maybe the rest of the East actually ended up winning that trade after we thought we had lost it because Simmons didn't play. Brooklyn's out. And Harden's playing like this. Philly's in trouble. It's just it's, it's interesting how quickly that flipped and how weird this is all unfolded. And obviously, there's a lot of story left to be told. You will be chronicling Ben Simmons, still theoretical, oh. but hopefully oh. not theoretical, return to the Brooklyn Nets oh. next season. And Harden will be playing basketball somewhere, probably Philly next year, I guess. It, it is unbelievable to think about. And I would, I would throw this question out to you because I was bouncing her off uh, a couple of my friends the last few days. If that trade never happens, if... The Sixers and Nets don't ever make that deal. I am convinced the Nets are still playing right now. One. Because Harden is hasn't been moved. If they don't bring Kyrie back and it was just KD and Harden, they're still in a better place than they would have been. And if you're the Sixers right now, Zach, of course Simmons is still out and he's not playing. But you would have Seth Curry, who's going to space the floor and hit some shots. You'd have Drummond, who is going to be a gigantic upgrade over DeAndre Jordan and Paul Reed. And you've got your two future first-round picks still. 
aren't you in a better place than than you would be in the moment if you're the Sixers? Because the Nets absolutely would be in a better place. I, I yeah, but I, I I still don't think the Nets. I don't think there's any iteration of the two two thirds Nets, like two of the big three. That gets by Boston in the first round. They'd have. But to they face wouldn't have played game. Boston in the first. Well, round. Well, that's that's what you're assuming, right? Is right. They, they face. They. Fa- I don't know that they get. I, they'd have to get the very right opponent. This one is hurting my brain too much. I don't want to. Th- I. I can't. I can't think too far backwards right now. I just can't. I got to look ahead to game two, no matter how depressing it is, and hope that Embiid is getting fitted for a mask that is comfortable and maybe colorful and or something. I don't know. I'm sure the NBA has no fun rules about what color. The mask can be, and now now they're finding everyone for swearing. It's just I don't. Know, it's just you can't do anything anymore. It's not. It's I'm, now I'm just sad, Nick. Can you say something? Can you just do a Tibbs impression to cheer me up but, or but something? See, that's what happens. <laughs> I come around and everybody gets really upset <laughs> about what may happen. A Tibbs impression. <laughs> come on, Zach. The magic is in the work, baby. It's gonna be okay. Just stay at it, ice, 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 and get to the next round. Not, not a, not enough profanity, but pretty, but pretty good. Nick Friedel, <laughs> enjoy, enjoy the Heat Sixers series. Stay away from Bam Adebayo and uh, enjoy some nice weather. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Yes, sir. Talk to you, my man. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right. On location from Suns Mavs game one, where the Suns offense just continued to hit every damn shot they threw up. Our Mavs insider, among other things, live from Phoenix, Band McMahon. How are you doing? Howdy, Zach. How are you, buddy? I'm good, brother. How are you? Did you enjoy the game last night? Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't – it was – there were some nice individual displays. It wasn't that entertaining of a game because there was never really – it was never really in doubt. The Mavs kind of fiddle-farted around for the first few minutes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They, they did what? Fiddle-farted. That's a new one for me. Well, it's it's not something th- that you want to do if you're trying to beat the number one seed in the uh, in the entire NBA on the road. But you know they they got themselves in a hole. Uh, I thought they played at, at times pretty well after those first few minutes, but those first few minutes were such a disaster that they never really had a chance to win the game. You want to hear the stat of the playoffs so far? Let's hear it. The Suns. Here are the Suns' shooting numbers from two point range for the playoffs. 
They're shooting 74.8% at the rim. Okay, at the rim. And 61% on long twos. Now, it's only, what, seven games? 61% on long twos. They are scoring 120 points per 100 possessions through those seven games, which would have led the league by a lot, despite shooting 32.8% on non-garbage time threes. That is so hard to do. And it's the same thing I talked about with Michael Schwartz, our research ace, earlier this year. For the Suns to be a top two or three offense in the NBA and not get offensive rebounds and not get free throws and not generate all that many shots at the rim or threes is such a miracle of incredible shot making that just continues to roll right along. And when the Mavs have Powell or Kleba on the floor and DeAndre Ayton's hitting those dudes with screens, like the long twos are going to be there for Booker and CP a lot of the time. And, you know, we saw the Mavs go with Finney Smith at center down the yeah. stretch in game one. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I, I'm not really sure that solves that problem that you switch everything. And, and as we talked about last week, this is a second season in a row where the Suns and DeAndre Ayton are facing a team just having coming off eliminated the Utah Jazz by going super small and playing Gobert into the corners and trusting that the Jazz aren't throwing the ball to Gobert against our small mm-hmm. guys. And if they do, we don't care. And for the second straight season, that team runs into DeAndre Ayton and is like, oh, Oh, they, they're gonna throw they're gonna throw the ball to him and and he's gonna hit us for twenty something with his floaters and his mid range game and, and all that. And oh that's interesting. Yeah, and I'll tell you what though, what was interesting is Aiton did all of his damage against the Mavs centers, you know, or or when the, the centers were on the floor, I should say, because it is like you mentioned pick and roll stuff, but it was when Dwight Powell was on the floor, when Maxi Kleber was on the floor, and you don't want to necessarily overreact to a fourth quarter stretch where the, the game was never really in doubt. But when the Mavs went small with Finney Smith at center, Aiton was scoreless in the fourth quarter. Uh, and I'm not sitting here telling you, hey, he's a stopper. But we're going to see a lot of that. I think we're you saw it for basically the last 10 minutes of the game. The Mavs were plus 12 in those 10 minutes. Um, I think you're going to see it for, for a lot more than that going into game two. And, you know, I think um, because Aiden's an interesting player, um, he looks like just a, a, an absolute monster, but he his his scoring, a lot of it is kind of I'm not going to say finesse, but, you know, he's, he's not just backing guys down you can and say, stuffing them in the basket. You can say finesse. You can say yeah. finesse. it's finesse. I mean, he doesn't some, get to the free throw line. He's he does. Right. Yeah. He doesn't get to the free throw line. He doesn't stuff guys into the basket that much. Um, so. You know, Finney Smith at the five, uh, I, I I think gives them a a chance to compete there, uh, and really opens the floor up for them on the other end. And, and you know, it's like Lucas said, they've got to attack paint. You know, they they've got to and and it was the way that the Suns defended Luca was, was interesting because basically it was kind of hey, if you get yours, you get yours, but we're not letting these other guys get off. Maxi Kleber was the only guy. Uh, who who played well offensively by his standards outside uh, of Luca? Now, you know I think people are talking about well, Brunson was really bothered by length. I don't, you know, 
after game one of the Jazz series, we were talking about there's no way in hell the, the, the Mavericks could score without Luka on the floor. Then Brunson went for 41 and 31. I think Jalen Brunson's thinking about, man, I can't believe I missed this wide open three, and I can't believe I, I missed this little floater that's easy money for me in the lane and and, and things like that. But um, I am curious to see just how much the Mavs go small trying to open that floor uh, wide, and then those guys just, you know, it's about communicating, as, as Finney Smith said, tenacity, talking, that sort of thing whenever uh, they're on the defensive end, if that's the case. Powell, minus 10 in 16 minutes. Obviously, mm-hmm. I don't need the nerds to tisk tisk me. One game, sample size, can't read too much. I know, I know. But the bottom line is he's a rim-running center who's going to give up those mid-range twos, and he's going to screw mm-hmm. up Dallas's spacing a little bit. Now he got some lobs. And all of that. But I do think those minutes are interesting to watch. At the very least, the minute JaVale McGee comes into the game, the Mavs should either have Kleba on the floor or Finney Smith at center. There should be zero minutes where Powell and McGee are on the floor at the same time. Now, the Suns, if they really wanted to, could could bench McGee and play without a center themselves. They have the wing depth to go five out and play exactly the way the Mavs do. They don't want you to cannot, do that. You cannot, uh-uh. you cannot bench Chevelle McGee the game after he picks Luca's pocket and oh goes, my God. goes Tim, length of the floor for a Statue of Liberty hammer dunk. Tim, and credit Reggie Miller, who gets a lot of hate um, for his commentary. I, I think I just – I kind of like Reggie. He absolutely – so I'm watching that game. I woke up at 6 in the morning and watched the second half of the game. And JaVale McGee does that. I'm like three sips of coffee into the morning. And I'm like, did that just did that just happen? And then I register, I rewound. I was like, I gotta I gotta make sure I'm not hallucinating. I rewound. It did just happen. And the thought goes through my head. This is the greatest moment of JaVale McGee's career. It's it and it will it, he'll never have a play this good. Cause you know, when he's dribbling it up the floor, you're saying, I'm saying. Pass the ball. Pass the ball, big fella. Don't no, the, do the it. Shack and, and then the he does it. producers are, are hit and record. I mean, it, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> and Reggie says, for the rest of his career, this is on number one on JaVale McGee's highlight reel. And he's right. So I guess you're right. You can't, you can't bench JaVale McGee. But the other thing you did mention is, you know, when they went five out, and this is how they beat Utah, right? Like, where's Donovan Mitchell? Where's Mike Conley? Where you don't even care about Royce O'Neal? All of a sudden, other than down the stretch, which I thought, A, Phoenix missed some bunnies, both Mm -hmm. open threes and bunnies around the rim. B, the intensity of the game just isn't the same when you're right, when you're up 15 and and it's just, you know, everyone's just playing the foul game almost at that point. Um, Other than those, like, Dallas got a little bit of traction playing that way. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Brunson got stoned on a couple of drives by Crowder. Cam Johnson, they left Cam Johnson alone on one or two drives and said, we're not sending you help. And he did enough to disrupt layups from Luka and Brunson. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a different world. And when they rotated, their rotations were better inside and out than Utah. Dallas scored well enough to win the game, but a lot of that came at the end. And it's just, it was clear right away. You're just not going to beat us up and blow by us the way you did against Utah. Yeah, and obviously the Suns have... A lot of defenders. Uh, it's, it's not just Bridges. They can throw Crowder on Luca. They can throw Johnson on Luca. You know, even uh, Aiton on a on, on a switch is it's it's not just a you know five alarm fire uh, for the Suns. Um, and it was interesting. You know, they they weren't doubling, trapping that kind of stuff. You know, trying to force the ball out of his hands. They basically 
And the other thing, like, it's almost like they're playing the long game. Like, hey, if Luca wants to get up 30 shots in 44 minutes and we're playing every other day in this series, like, okay. Uh, but he, he, he got to, and to Luca's credit, he did all that and, and threw down a, a dunk in the last minute. So, you know, he looks surprisingly springy and fresh in his, in his 44th minute uh, of that game. I tell you what, the Bridges, man, Luca. Bridges, I don't know. I don't know that he's going to have a lot of success one on one against against Luca. As great as he is defensively, just because Luca is so strong, you know, our, our stats and info guys had Luca with fourteen points on four or six shooting against Bridges, but he made one of the best defensive plays I've ever seen in my life last night. He uh, talking about the one where he swatted. I think it was Bull. It was Bullock in the corner. Bridges was kind of shaded towards Luke. He wasn't on it. There's a switch. And so he was, I think it was, he was on Kleba oh. at the top of the arc, a little bit even on the other side of the court and kind of shaded towards Luca to, to offer a little bit of help. They weren't doubling, but they're shading. And Luca gives the ball up. It's, you know, boom, boom, quick swing pass. I don't know exactly how many feet that was, but he went from just on the other side of the of the top of the arc all the way to the corner in like one second and swatted the shot. It was unbelievable. I gasped when that happened. And it takes a lot to get that kind of genuine gasp out of Tim McMahon. You're not just giving <laughs> that reaction away. You've seen a lot of things in this world. I I was trying I don't know that I've seen somebody do exactly what he did there. That it was incredible. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You said the words long game, which I actually have in my notes about a different thing, though. It started when Booker came back from injury against the Pelicans, and I, I chalked it up to just sort of one mm-hmm. game, whatever. Mm-hmm. Monty Williams, for the second straight game, sat Booker and Paul at the same time for an extended, like a really long stretch, mm-hmm. something he basically stopped doing this season after doing it in the regular season last year precisely to play the long game. I don't know if it's just, you know, um, let's try to preserve Chris Paul, who only played 29 minutes, especially when we have a lead. Maybe we can just sort of 
Let's see what Shamit can give us. Let's see what the bench mob can give us. And they manufactured points. You know, Mikhail Bridges hits a pull-up jumper. Shamit gave him some good minutes. Campaign hit a floater and a three on the pick and roll. Cam Johnson got a couple of buckets. They manufactured it. I just am surprised that they're doing that. Uh, and it's something I'm watching for. And then you mentioned Luca. The what there are a couple of things from Luca that I mean, obviously the guy scored 45 points. There's just no coverage for him that's going to be consistently successful. But you know, they're switching one to four, the Suns are, which they mm-hmm. always do. And that includes Chris Paul onto Luca. And early in the game, he's feeling that out, running these double drag pick and rolls. Oh, Chris Paul's on me. And he just sort of behaved normally. Like, I'll run another pick and roll or I'll take a step back three. By the second half, it was, if I get that switch, I'm backing him down. Yeah. Even if I have to start almost outside the nail, back, 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 bully, bully, bully. That's something to me they can re- revisit with a yes. little more intent behind it because as stout as Chris is, he can't guard Luca in the post. Luca's an elite post player. And once you start sending help, that's another path to points that the Mavericks can unlock. And you're going to have to send help if he's posting Booker or Paul. I'd like to see a little bit more of that um, in game two. Yeah, I, I mean, Chris Paul is tough, but he's given up, what, 50 pounds there? And eight inches, like that—that that should be something where Luke is, like you said, just able to, to bully him. Um, you know, but again, I, th- I think that, and Monty said it after the game, basically, hey, anytime you see someone with forty-five, you don't feel great. But look at—you know—we didn't let any of the other guys get going, uh, aside from Kleber, and and the Mavericks as a team only had sixteen assists. Eight of those were Luca, but when the Mavericks are really flowing then Luca's dominating and, and a lot of that stuff is, is leading to great ball movement. The ball's flying around as, you know, pop, 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 boom, open three. Um, you know, they, they've gotten to the point where like, for example, the jazz started just sending, you know, let, 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 let's hit him as he's, as he's uh, before he really gets into the set, like in the third quarter of game six. And then, and then the Mavericks just start popping the ball around. He's gotten to the point where he's, you know, some stars aren't really willing to give the ball up unless it's an assist situation. Luca's gotten out of that. Um, so that's it, going to be fascinating. 45 points, 44 minutes, uh, you know, and, and it's not enough. That's a pretty good sign for the Suns. So you mentioned exactly a point I wanted to hit. Reggie Bullock's two three-pointers in game one. And Bullock and Finney Smith, they need to get more than four combined threes from those yeah. guys. But Bullock's both both of his threes came off exactly what you're talking about. When Luca gave the ball up, and instead mm-hmm. of just chilling around half court, he got it back. On one of them, he ran into a catch at full speed. I don't know who I can't remember who passed him the ball, and drew help and then hit Bullock in the right corner for a three. The other one was a great play from Powell, where Luca gave up the ball to Finney Smith. Finney Smith gave it to Powell, and Powell turned into Draymond Green. For like a second and literally pitched it like an option quarterback to Luca running at full speed into a handoff. Drew Ayton to step up and then hit Bullock for a left corner three. That's like the Suns are so good that Luca is going to need to tap into that give and go kind of mm-hmm. gear that he has. Um, and 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 they, they'll look the Suns have been giving up points in the playoffs. Now, one of the reasons I really like them in this series, I think I picked them in six was. The ways they gave up points to the Pelicans, offensive rebounds and free throws, are stuff that the Mavs don't really do. But the Mavs are 
a, a, a very good offensive team. They're going to get points. The questions are just I, I I'm just interested to see what answers, if any, they're going to have on the other end because it's it's nice to say they're not going to shoot 61% on long twos forever. They shot 70% at the rim during the season, and they're going to shoot better than 33% from three. Like I, I'm just interested in what answers they come up with on defense. Well, and they do have, what, two of the three or four best mid-range shooters in the game. I mean, and you know, Br- they, Bridges, is, Bridges is getting right there with those guys. Yeah. Not, God, in vol- not in volume and difficulty, but he can rise up and hit shots. I mean, Bridges has become such an awesome player. Obviously, the guy's a... Uh, the best defensive wing in the league uh, or, you know, top two or three, whatever you want to say in that conversation. But he's become a really nice, like, secondary offensive player. He is – wow, he's he's an unbelievable player. Um, tell you what, you, you mentioned you picked Suns and Six. The Mavs are well aware that uh, all 20 people that uh, pick for ESPN – pick Suns. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry we picked the number one seed in the Western Conference who won 64 games. Major disrespect yeah, 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 to the yes. Dallas a, Mavs. A a certain uh, a player on their team who doesn't often make small talk with the media as I walked by at shoot around said, uh, I s- saw you pick Suns in seven. <laughs> I was surprised. I said, yeah? I said, well, if you're offended that you think I think it's going to be a competitive series against a team that had the best record in the NBA, then I apologize. Oh, no. No, not offended. <laughs> but, but just wanted me to know that he saw that. You took to, So you have them taking the 64 win, now healthy Phoenix Suns, to seven games. Bulletin board material, Tim. <laughs> bulletin board material. Well, and I tell you what, if it was bulletin board material, it should have, they should have come out a little bit stronger than they did. Instead of digging a hole that they couldn't get out of in game one, I thought they came out nervous. I thought I thought you saw the nerves early on. Luca committed two turnovers in the first three possessions, two turnovers and missed a little floater. Uh, I thought you know they they came out and and they looked like a team that had second round you know we're playing the top seed jitters. And I, I don't think that'll be something we see throughout the series, but I do I do think we saw it for the first few minutes. Yeah, and look, I I think they're going to continue to score. Like Brunson and Dinwiddie will play better, and and I was I was dead wrong about the Porzingis trade. Just in this sense, I understood why they did it. I I, I viewed it more as a smart long term and medium term yeah. move. And I think I even wrote, I, I think they probably lowered their ceiling mm-hmm. without his rim protection and three point shooting. They were confident that was not the case. I heard from them. They're confident that's not the case. They would be better this season without Porzingis. And they were absolutely right. They didn't just redistribute his post-ups and his shots to Luka. They redistributed them to Dinwiddie and Brunson. They improved their spacing. And they were exactly correct. Porzingis is a center. We can get quality center minutes out of Powell and Kleba, including quality shooting and spacing from Kleba. And they were right. And I do find myself thinking a lot. A, a, a kind of forgotten man is like, they'd be even more dangerous offensively if Tim Hardaway Jr. weren't injured. And they had another shooter yeah. who could at least run a secondary pick and roll and pull up off the dribble. And, and obviously you can't play him and Dinwiddie and Brunson all together because your defense is going to be shot. Exactly. But I, I do think like he's kind of their Joe Harris where everyone's just sort of forgotten he existed. He's an important part of their team. Yeah, no, and, and right now he's uh, he's 1B as far as their bench hype men go. I mean, he's into it with Theo Pinson all game long. Um, he's He is not ruled out 
the possibility of him returning during these playoffs, but it's a very slim chance. Jay Kidd said the other day that he's three or four weeks away from being able to, you know, change plant plant his foot, change directions, that kind of running. He just started straight line running. But, you know, there's a if you go to Mavs games, there's a reminder every pregame. He gets out there, uh, you know, a couple hours before tip and goes through a pretty good shooting uh, session and, you know, shooting it well. Um, yeah, they uh, they could use him. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think the Mavs really believed they were going to get better this season with the Porzingis trade. I they, they might have said that to you. I don't think they really believe that. I think the there was some hope that it was a possibility, um, but I think Dinwiddie's production down the stretch of this you know second half of the season, as good as he was, was almost a bonus. But it beca- it became pretty consistent to the point where they started relying on it, and he hadn't done that so far in the playoffs. He's only had like one or two That's true. games, you know, and so they at this point, hey man, whew, they need that that Dinwiddie that looked like such a uh, you know such a find for them um, for the last couple months of the season. They really need one of those like you know twenty two point uh, Dinwiddie type of uh, performances. A couple other things to look for before we bolt here. I, I do think Phoenix can do more to make Luka work defensively. And they, they, they dipped their toe into it in game one. And um, the Mavs are smart. Like, if you want to run a, you know, a Booker-Crowder pick and roll, we're just going to let Crowder pop into open space. We're not going to overreact. And Luka's going to drop and recover. I'd like to see Booker just attack him immediately in the drop. Like, Donovan Mitchell yeah. actually is pretty good at that. And Clarkson was very good at that. Don't, don't hesitate. Just go... Go right at him. And, boy, it's becoming one of my favorite plays in the entire NBA now for two years. When the Suns run Devin Booker up from the left corner and around one screen and then into a dribble handoff with Aiton so that there's only one shooter on the weak side in the left corner or the left wing, that play is so hard to guard. And you could see the Mavs. If if the nerds want to nerd out, 10-50 in the third quarter, they run that play. And they get an eight and dunk on the yeah. lob. And you can yeah. see Finney Smith. You can see Finney Smith pointing to Brunson, who's on the strong side corner, a place that you normally don't rotate in from. It's like, dude, there's two people on the strong side, only one person on the weak side. You got to be in earlier on Aiton yeah. for that yeah. lob. Four minutes later, 5.59 of the third quarter, same play. Brunson's in early from the strong side corner, just like Finney Smith asked. Booker sees that right away. Bam, over to Bridges on the right wing. Bam, over to Brunson's guy, Cam Johnson, in the corner for three. Then late in the game, they start saying, well, we don't have any answers for this. Let's (laughs) switch with our centers onto Booker and double-team him to get the ball out of his hands. And it worked a little bit when Campaign was in the game and not Chris Paul, but that's not going to work. It's just a beautiful, beautiful action. And if people want to watch those plays, you can see the Mavs go from answer to answer to answer, and the Suns mm-hmm. go from counter to counter to counter. It's just a hard, They're just a hard team to guard, man. The, this, this offense is is a little bit of a fluke by like a couple points we're under possessions given how great they've been shooting, but not that much of a fluke. Yeah, and, and by the way, when we're talking about the Mavs going small, it's like, okay, so you put Aiton on – or I'm sorry, Finney Smith on Aiton, and you're just you know active and switching and talking. Da, da, da. Uh, you kind of need Finney Smith guarding Devin Booker for the vast majority of the game. You say, well, you can put Bullock on on Booker. Okay, but you, then you kind of need Bullock on Chris Paul. It's like every 
within that play that you're just talking about within you know uh matchups every solution opens up another problem with the suns and that's why they had the best record in the nba by far yeah, they're a very good team. Uh, I still think your Suns and Seven prediction is disrespectful to the Dallas Mavericks, who I also didn't didn't pick. I picked Suns and Six, so I just must think the Mavs should be relegated to the G League next season or something. In all honesty, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm poking fun at it. I get it. Like the players, that's that's how I'd want my players to be. Like I'd want my yeah, players yeah. to think you want them to have a chip on the shoulder. And they saw yeah. twenty, and then you know I'm the guy that they see all the time, and you know I get it. And it's like, hey. I told him, you proved me wrong. Like, cool, man. I'll be on your next series, too. And, you know, we'll, we'll keep it rolling. You know, good luck to you. Probably but pick the just, Warriors. But, but no, here's the thing. I don't plan on picking against the Suns at all. Like, I think the Suns are a championship team that was clearly the best team in the league. They had a little scare with Devin Booker. He He's back. He's healthy. Uh, you know, I just – they're not a team with with many flaws, and they're a team with a whole lot of, you know, two two stars and a whole lot of really good players around them. Enjoy the valley. Get yourself a little Suns like uh, Valley Valley T shirt jersey. You know those blue, the cool like I city edition I, ones they had I, last I, year. I might get my stepsons some T shirt jerseys. I don't do T shirt jerseys as a forty five year old NBA reporter. There's there's uh, both of those would be direct violations. Wow, I just got shamed on my own podcast because I have like a, a quite a few t-shirt jerseys. Some of them don't have a number on them. They just show the city. or the, I like to collect now, things everywhere I go because we're all going to be replaced by robots in five years. I want to remember when I got to cover the NBA. Now, my God. Now listen, I did. I did. You are going to be night. banned. You are going to be banned from I this did. podcast. You're going to make fun of me like this. Hey, I did have the official like craft beer of the Phoenix Suns uh, a couple nights ago. It was Suns Brew, B-R-U. Pretty good, a, a a pilsner. So uh, you know that uh, I, you know, I, I showed my support for uh, for the Phoenix Suns in 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 that manner. I hope it was appreciated. All right. Well, I hope it was delicious. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, Tim McMahon, and I'm gonna have to think think hard burn, about some of the choices. Burn I've the made. shirts. Look, go give them away. Give them away. Goodwill will take those things. You don't need them in your closet. Wow. Wow. Okay, Tim McMahon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you, brother. Adios, amigo. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.